You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. Last week, we started a series on looking at the four titles of Jesus that are given to us by the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9 is where we, we see them. Now, what was really interesting about these names and about Isaiah is that he did this about 700 years before the birth of Jesus. So this is a prophetic declaration of this is who's coming, and it was, it's, it's pretty cool. But here's the thing to recall about, about the book of Isaiah. There are 66 books, or 66 chapters, if you will, in the book of Isaiah, 66. Overwhelmingly, they're all really gloomy. It's a book of judgment and prophetic punishment on the people of Israel for their sinful behavior because they've abandoned God and turned their backs on him. There's only one little section in chapter 9, seven verses. So in 66 chapters, one chapter, seven short verses in this one chapter where Isaiah, for no, there's no context. It's kind of like he changes the whole tone. And he says, all right, nevertheless... So no, he's been saying all these bad things are going to happen. Nevertheless, it won't always be this way. You won't always be subject to foreign armies and conquering nations. And there won't always be war. And there will be a time of peace. And then he talks, and he gets to verse 6. And he says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So that's the verse. And so we're, we're looking at these passages. And um, so we know that last week we talked about wonderful counselor. And we had a chance to look at that. And the fact that Jesus brings comfort. He brings peace. He's also our advocate. Counselor is also another name for like an attorney. It has legal connotations. And so he represents us. And, and so it's a really a very profound relationship. And uh, it's really significant that he's working on our behalf. Today, we're going to look at this idea of Jesus as mighty God. Now, um, I have to admit, I think we do a disservice by attributing this verse to the baby in the manger. Now, I'm not suggesting that there's another baby, there's another Jesus. So it's the same one. I'm I'm suggesting that Isaiah didn't have the manger in mind when he was sharing what he was was thinking. So consider verse 7. So it's not the verse that's right after this, and it's not in your worship guide. We might have it here on the screen. Verse 7. So we just said, here are the four names. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then he says, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. That's a pretty big, pretty profound, pretty powerful description. I think what Isaiah has in mind here is Jesus, but it's the Jesus yet to come. It's not the first coming of Jesus. It's the second coming of Jesus. So consider these other passages that we see in in the book of Revelation. Just as a basis of comparison, if you see if I can make my point. So in Revelation 1, it says, And when I turned, I saw someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. 
His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Another word for hell. Outside of kind of the things coming out of his mouth, that's a pretty powerful image that we have of what Jesus looks like at the end of time. <clears throat> then if you, down in chapter 4 of, of the book of Revelation, John, the, who's, who wrote this, is describing what he's seeing. And he says, And then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature, every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. This is the image of Jesus I think Isaiah had in mind when he wrote this passage in verse 6. This is the image of a mighty God. Jesus was more, so much more than a baby born in Bethlehem, he was the Son of God in flesh and blood. Jesus is fully God who became like us so that he could save us. This is the God we serve. When we celebrate at Christmas, it's more than a holiday event. It is God coming into our world to make his presence, his power and provision available to us. We have a mighty God who is with us. This is really significant, really important. Jesus, as our mighty God, helps us then with the demands of life. And there's three demands we're going to look at here. One is he takes, Jesus takes care of the demands within you. Uh, I don't know if you have the same sense, but I think this idea of people struggling with anxiety and depression just seems to be increasing exponentially these days. Um, I mean, when I was growing up, I mean, we never heard of, you know, people dealing with this. I mean, we'd be anxious before a test or an interview, but those were situated things, but... I mean, even, um, I, I think it's okay to say, I don't think I'm going to divulge any confidence. I mean, two of our kids have had to seek medical or doctoral, or no, professional help. So they've met with the counselors and, um, you know, doctors just to deal with anxiety um, and stress. And, you, you know, so it, it's an interesting dynamic because when we talk to them, first, I just really appreciate the fact they're really open about us in the sense of they talk to us about it. But it, it's just... I mean, that was just unheard of in my day. And so I've seen that as well. What's interesting is I came across an article yesterday um, that was um, <clears throat> written by the, art, the name of the article, Anxiety in the West, Is It on the Rise? And so he makes this statement I thought was really profound. He says, it seems to be, talking about anxiety, it seems to be rampaging 
rampaging through society like a non-contagious cognitive plague. I love that. Forming a low-level hum that hides in the corners of our collective minds. Stress and anxiety. And Barnes and Noble noted that between the years of 2000 and 2017, 2018, they had a 25% increase in all the sale of books related to anxiety. Now, granted, there's different levels of anxiety. You know, I've got a big test coming up. I'm nervous about that. That's one thing. Another one, I can't get out of bed because I'm so fearful and I can't move. And it inhibits us to live life at the other extreme. So, and I, so I really, it's a pretty broad spectrum. But anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the U.S. Around, almost 40 million adults, in one of our latest statistics, almost one in five people are dealing with anxiety and stress. So, but the question is, is it actually increasing? We know it's here. And so there's been some studies as well um, done by like the American Psychiatric Association that polled, in 2017, they polled uh, 1,000 people. Almost two-thirds of people said that they are anxious or extremely anxious about the health and safety of themselves or their families. Almost two-thirds of people. A greater than one-third of people say that they're more anxious overall than they were a year ago. So that they, this particular group, said they feel more anxious now than they did a year ago. They repeat, interestingly, they repeated the study a year later and found the same results, but even 5% greater. So people felt even more anxious. Um, and they discovered that millennials feel the most anxious of all the different generational groups. Um, so again, it's just, just, it just seems to be, there is this sense that it might be increasing. Now, it's... it's and there's, there's all the different science out there. There's questions as to whether or not we can statistically prove it's increasing, but it does seem to be anecdotally that might be the case. So then the question becomes, why? Why might it be increasing? Why are people struggling more so these days? And there's, there's no way to even measure. There's no way to actually say this is why. There's, there's other theories and stories and that's why people might be feeling this way. Um, some people, it's just a shift in our society that we've gone from survival, you know, how do we, how do we make it, to, all right, I've made it, and, and now I'm thinking about the car, the house, and so instead of focusing on those things, we're focusing more on ourselves. We become more internal in that regard. Another theory says it has to do with social media. And everyone nods their heads yeah, on that one. So um, there have been studies that said that among adolescents, those who are, actually, they said, those who use social media the most um, particularly at nighttime, had lower self-esteem and higher levels of anxiety and depression. <clears throat> so the volume of noise that's out there now these days is just overwhelming, um, just between all those different social media things. Um, I, I think related to this, but not this, I think it's just that the speed of, part, personally, I think part of it is related to just the speed of communication. It used to be that if I wanted to communicate with you, I wrote you a letter, and it was, you know, hand-delivered a week or two later, depending upon how far you were. So news was just slow, and now it's instant. And it's not just my life. I know every person in the world's news. I mean, if, if I'm, there's that much out there. And so it's, it's just the volume. So then I, is it actually increasing, or are we just more aware of issues that we weren't aware before? But then there's also the theory that, well, yeah, things are just more stressful these days than they used to be. And... Certainly that's the way it comes across in the news, the climate change, nuclear threats, um, flesh-eating viruses, terrorist attacks. I mean, 
inequality, economics, fake news. I mean, it's a mess. Um, I love this quote. He said, the way our culture is, the world is broken, we broke it, and it can't be fixed. And everything gives us cancer. (laughs) It's kind of the way it's out there. It's like, it's kind of a hopeless picture that it leaves for us, doesn't it? And certainly, whether or not we can statistically prove it, and it certainly seems like the world is more stressful today than it used to be. You might be here this morning full of stress and anxiety and depression, and you don't see a way out. Here's what I know. We serve a mighty God. So we know that Jesus takes care of the demands within you. Jesus also takes care of the demands outside of you. There's no denying the challenges that life throws at us from time to time. Um, Within the last eight months, within our group right here, um, and a few others who aren't here with us this morning, um, within the last eight months, seven of you have lost either a parent or child. Four of you have been hospitalized for health concerns. Four of you have had surgical procedures. Two of you have have had health-slash-diagnosis challenges with uh, one of your kids. Three of you have had job or financial crises. And this is all just in the last eight months. Within a group like our size. And, and if that's not enough, some of you decided to actually be in a couple of these categories. You know, so it's not just this, you're dealing with this and this. And it's overwhelming sometimes when life comes at us in waves like that. And these are just the things I know about. Some of you are really good at keeping things, your personal things private, and I never find out until after the fact. And these are things that, you know, and, and these don't even include just the run-of-the-mill challenges that come up during the course of a week. You know, your car breaking down or, you know, just needing to go do this and appointments and all these things that just happen. And, and you know, sickness and relational issues and challenges and, Certainly it feels like that the life comes and it just comes at you in these waves and it's just overwhelming. And you might be here this morning beaten up by the cares and demands of life and you don't see a way out. But here's what I know. We serve a mighty God. The other point that's in our, your worship guide, your notes there, is that Jesus takes care of the demands of those around you. Yesterday afternoon, I, uh, I went for a walk <clears throat> and, uh, in our neighborhood. And I was, you know, as, as I usually do, my, my mind, usually, usually I just, I, I, I'm not listening to anything. I just walk and it, my mind's just free to go in all kinds of directions. But on this particular day, uh, I, I had on ear, earbuds and I was listening to, to some music and um, I was praying and just praying for a lot of you. The list I just mentioned just praying for you and praying for my kids and all those things. And it was um, the, the music, two songs. <clears throat> One was, uh, this has become my favorite uh, song here. Uh, so Will I by Hillsong. Um, it's like, So Will I, then in parentheses, uh, Bragg says 100 billion times. So I don't know the song, but listen to this. <clears throat> God of creation there at the start. I'm going to start crying already. Before the beginning of time, with no point of reference, you spoke to the dark. Anyways, he's talking about God, and I'm not going to get through this. I can see this already. 
So anyways, I'm walking and I'm listening to this music and I'm not five minutes into my walk. And I am overwhelmed with just the presence of God. I start bawling like a baby. As I'm walking, praying that I don't meet any neighbors along the way. You're like, God, no, nobody else be out today. Uh, and I'm trying, you know how you're crying and you're trying not to make noises. You know, just, just, I was, I was completely wrecked by the presence of God. Just, just, I was just, I was just a mess. And after a few minutes, I, I regained my composure and uh, I hear this voice in my mind saying, why would you want to deny them this experience? And I believe at that moment, God was speaking to me and that was a thought from him and I knew exactly what he meant. I, I, I knew exactly what it was. See, here, over the years, um, throughout my life, growing up and as we've been married, I've learned that God is my provider. Because I've been in seasons of need and God has done some things where I can't attribute to anything else except God. It's like God provides for me. And I've learned that and that's become part of my life. And there's been times in my life where I've, where I've known, I've been encountered God as my healer because I was sick or I was ill or something was wrong and I, nothing else, I needed God to intervene in my life. Um, my parents tell me the story that when I was an infant, I drank, a, I drank a bottle of furniture polish. And the doctor said, there's nothing we could do. If we pump his stomach, it'd get in a system, and we just basically have to pray and hope for the best. I haven't told that story. My kids love to hear my stories because I, unfortunately there's a few of those in there. But I've been reminded that there's something special that God's doing because look, he saved you. And, but I only learn those things because I go through those seasons. I, I know that God is my strength because I've encountered seasons of weakness and hopelessness. And in the midst of that, find God and encounter him. And as a parent, I've learned that now with adult kids, some of you who have preceded us in this, um, you, you know what I'm talking about. Those of you who have younger kids yet, here's what's coming. And it's this sense that my kids will never have a personal encounter with God if I am continually wanting to intervene and save them and take them out of all their struggles that they have, which is really hard. Parenting at this stage of life is so much harder uh, just because you want to help and you want to do things and sometimes they need to do that and they will never know God is their provider unless they're in need and they go through that and in the midst of that they find, they find God and so I knew what God was saying to me when he mentioned that. Why would you not want them to experience this? And it's because actually, actually it might have been this past week I was talking with Paul and I literally heard these words come out of my mouth. Some of these needs are so significant and all I can offer is to pray for people. Sometimes that feels so insufficient. What I had forgotten was that some of the most profound encounters with God come when life seems the darkest. And as a parent and as your pastor, it's not my role to make everything okay in your life. I, I want to come around and help. And what I've seen you do the last few weeks, 
um, far with uh, some of um, with D- Debbie and her surgery and the Burfords, Ron and his surgery. What I've seen, I mean, I pulled in the parking lot yesterday to pick up the butts that Mark and Christy were doing, you know, and that's something they were doing to try and help. And there's like 20 of you here. It's like, well, all right, let's just have church a day early, you know. And uh, I mean, it was, it was crazy how all of you have just responded in so many different ways to help them and support them. And that's all good. And that's all good. But we all know that that doesn't solve their problems. It helps them through it. And, and that's okay. It's not my role to fix things and make your problems go away. That's God's role. That's what God is for. And my role is to point you to him. I want to do what I can to help, and I want to be there to support and encourage. But ultimately, each one of us has to encounter God our own way. You know, as a community of faith, we are journeying through life together. And we do. We're, we're, we're sharing life. And I love what's happening amongst us. And, but when it comes to hearing from God or encountering God, no one can do that for you. You have to encounter God on your own by yourself. So if you're struggling with the demands that are within you, whether it's anxiety or stress or depression, or if you're struggling with the demands that are outside of you, just the circumstances of life are just overwhelming and you're not sure what to do. And if you're struggling with the demands of those around you, the answer for all of them is an encounter with God. And it'll probably be different for you than it was for me. Hopefully you won't have spontaneous bursts of weeping. Um, but what does that look like for you when you're in his presence and that's all that matters? You, you see this within Job as well, the Old Testament person of Job where he lost his family, he lost everything he owned. He literally was one of the wealthiest men there and had everything and he finds himself sitting in a pile of ashes and his friends heaping ridicule and criticism and condemnation on him, you couldn't get much lower. And you watch him wrestle through that. And he comes to the point where he says, God, I don't have a clue, but you know what? You're enough. You are who you are. And, and I come to terms with that, and God, you are enough for me. There is something so freeing, something so... that, that you come alive when you come to that point where... It's all about God. And I don't have to struggle. And again, I'm not saying that we just sit down and we don't do the work we need to do. It's, it's the stuff, it's the weight of life. It's the emotions. It's, I'm going to be okay. And I don't like any of this. God, I've met you. And I love you. And I know you love me. And we're going to get through this one way or another. You might be here this morning beaten up by the cares and the demands of life and you don't see a way out. But here's what I know. We serve a mighty God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm just so very grateful for um, all that you're doing in our lives these days. And for some of us, Lord God, it's been really hard, really, really hard. The loss we felt, Lord, the anxiety or stress we feel because of circumstances, or sometimes it's just within us, Lord God, there's, it's just the, the anxiety sometimes we put on ourselves. 
God, my prayer is that we would encounter you in those moments. God, regardless of the circumstances, we would be able to to stand, Lord God, before you and trust you with everything. Lord, we would be able to put our lives in your hands completely and totally. There would be nothing left, Lord God. Father, for when we do that, when we come to that place, there is such freedom. There is such joy. There is just such a profound, uh, a profound sense of your love for us. Father, we don't understand the circumstances. We don't understand so much of life. We don't understand why things happen the way they do. We don't understand what's around the next corner. We don't often know how things are going to play out. When we sit in your presence, when we encounter you, it just changes everything. In some ways, it changes nothing, and we still have life to go through, but God, everything changes. So that's my prayer this morning, Lord God, for each one that's here. That if they find themselves in one of these situations, that they're needing to encounter a mighty God, that they would do that this morning. Lord, that you would meet them at their point of need. Father, that there would be this experience with you that they can't deny, they can't, they can't explain away. All they can say is somehow, some way, God has connected with me. So Lord, that's my prayer. And God, that's what I want for each of us this day. I've been wrestling... Um, since yesterday, how to end our time here today. And a uh, couple things. First, I just want to, uh, anyone here who you would say, you know what? I have never surrendered my life to Jesus in what you're talking. I've been religious. I go to church. I may, I know, I may know about God. And, but this idea of having a relationship with God and encountering God is, is something I've never done. I've never given my life to Jesus I want to do that. I want to give you the opportunity to do that today. And so I'm going to pray again. And I want you to, you can pray to yourself if you want to, but I'm asking you to pray with me. All right? We do that? And uh, actually, let me just ask if all of us would pray that together. It's not a bad thing to do for all of us as a reminder. us, all right? Dear Jesus, I come to you this day wanting to give my life to you. Father, I've struggled with so many things to no avail. I continue to struggle. But Father, I want the peace and release that comes from you. And I know that can come only when I surrender my life to you. So, Lord, I purpose to surrender my life at this moment. Come into my life and change me. Form me into the, into the image of, the son, of your son, Jesus Christ. Begin a renewed work in me today. In Jesus' name.
For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.